Unfortunately, Hunter syndrome, a difficult to diagnose pediatric genetic disease, is often easily mistaken for something else. How can we differentiate the signs and symptoms of Hunter syndrome? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Joseph Munzer, Professor of the Department of Pediatrics and the Department of Genetics at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dr. Munzer is recognized as one of the world's leading experts in Hunter Syndrome research and the medical treatment of children with genetic lysosomal storage diseases such as Hunter Syndrome. Welcome, Dr. Munzer. Thank you, Dr. Hill. It's my pleasure to be talking about Hunter Syndrome on ReachMD. Today we are discussing minimizing the delay of diagnosis of Hunter Syndrome. Again, Dr. Munzer, what is Hunter Syndrome? Hunter Syndrome is a lysosomal storage disease where an enzyme is missing in the breakdown of complex carbohydrates called glycosaminoglycans. Now, why is this such a difficult diagnosis to make? The challenge in Hunter syndrome and the other MPF disorders is that at birth, the children look remarkably normal, and then only with time, that is months to the first two or three years of life, do they start developing some of the characteristic features of Hunter syndrome. Which are? So those features can include early on in life, ingual and umbilical hernias. They can slowly develop joint stiffness and contractures with time. They can have recurrent ear infections. They can have recurrent pneumonias. They can develop, slow to their development, have developmental delay. All can be presenting in different individuals with different frequencies. How can the primary care physician look at all these different problems that the child may have, each of which are not particularly unusual, and make the diagnosis of Hunter syndrome? The challenge really is, as you allude to, Hunter syndrome, if you have a child with frequent ear infections, they typically won't have umbilical hernia, they won't have a patamegaly, or maybe evidence of now coarsening of the facial features. And so the challenge for the primary care physician is really to, when you start seeing a constellation of different findings, how to put that together in a single disorder. And that's where some of the lysosomal storage diseases now should be thought about. You may also see an abnormal x-ray as part of a child has pneumonia and radiologist gives your report back there's something unusual about the bones that all can contribute to the diagnosis early. So is it the physician just being aware of the diagnosis to minimize the delay? This is a very rare disorder, and that's one of the challenges. There's hundreds of different genetic disorders that are rare like this, and so that combination of multi-system is one of the few ways. It may be in the future what we'll really have to do to get prompt diagnosis is really do newborn training, looking for the missing enzyme in the blood spot that we do for a variety of other disorders currently. Do they often get a clue from the history of the mother and father? Hunter syndrome is an excellent disorder, so there's occasionally on the mother's side can be another child or individual, say the mother could have a brother who died prematurely, who had short stature, macrocephaly, core facial features, recurrent pneumonias, and that can sometimes be a clue. It's not uncommon for me to look at a photograph from a family and say, oh, there's probably an individual who had it who was never diagnosed or diagnosed with something else 30, 40, 50 years ago. Generally speaking, in your practice, how late are the diagnoses made of Hunter syndrome? 
typically they're made later than we would like. At the time I typically see the patient for a confirmation in my biochemical genetics clinic, I can walk through the waiting room the day I expect to see somebody and point that child out with a storage disease. So we believe that some of the problems associated with Hunter syndrome cause irreversible damage, and so the sooner the diagnosis for a lot of these rare disorders, the better. And what kind of irreversible damage are you referring to? One of the problems, for example, that occurs with Hunter syndrome is deposition on the heart valves. We get the deposits of the stored material, those heart valves get thickened, and then with time they turn to scar tissue and get a very abnormal heart valve that either won't open properly or close properly, and that now becomes an irreversible damage where early on, before that deposition occurred, we may be able to prevent that from happening by some of the current treatment we're using. And if untreated, is this disease fatal? In the severe form, there's a spectrum of severity, but in the severe form, the children die without any treatment in their teenage years of a combination of neurologic, cardiac, and pulmonary involvement. They can develop significant upper airway problems. They can get recurrent pneumonias. And then they also have this progressive neurologic course, which some of them can die almost in a vegetative state. There is, though, an attenuated form where they have normal neurologic, intellectually intact individuals, and they basically have life-threatening pulmonary and airway issues that can be managed but never treated. Is there any treatment for this disease? We currently now have a treatment in the form of replacing what's missing. That This is a lysosomal storage disorder where an enzyme within the lysosome that's destined for the lysosome not made properly, and now we have the capability of giving that enzyme back. So there's a commercial preparation of the missing enzyme called Eloprase that we can infuse in individuals to help improve their quality of life. And how effective is this? Clearly, the enzyme is more effective the younger we give it. Our clinical trials demonstrated that we could improve their ability to walk during the clinical trial, but it's hard to get reversal of some of the long-standing disease. For example, one of the major problems occur is joint restrictions because the deposits within the synovium that basically then prevent the joint from working properly with a secondary fibrosis occurring once that joint stops moving much. And so if we can do a better job with the enzyme replacement therapy preventing problems, then we can trying to reverse long-standing irreversible disease. Well, you clearly have made the point that it is critical for early detection. How do you actually make the diagnosis definitively? The definitive diagnosis is really based on measuring the missing enzyme, either in a blood sample or in white cells. This is a routine test? It's a routine test for geneticists, but it's clearly not a routine test for the primary care physician to do. Well, when does a pediatrician or a family practice physician send a patient to a geneticist? I'm sure the family must be very upset when you say, I think you should see a geneticist. And the families are upset, but I think that the key is when you start seeing you know, multiple systems involved or if you see really significant abnormalities in terms of, for example, different syndromes, that we see all the time in genetics clinics that we can recognize that the pediatrician may not you know, know what they are. So when you have a child who has abnormal physical features, abnormal development, those should all prompt a referral to a specialist, whether it's geneticist or somebody else, depending on the multi-system involvement. You mentioned that you can often, in a late case, pick out the child in your waiting room. As a pediatrician and as a geneticist, how difficult is it for you to think, well, this is certainly a case of Hunter syndrome? 
So a child that has facial features and other problems associated with storage, it's pretty obvious this would be the typical of an MPS where you have both enlargement of the livers, coarse facial features, stiff joints, and abnormal gait. So when I see a child like that, the diagnosis is relatively straightforward. I can measure the glycemic glycans in urine, and I can also send individuals off to get some x-rays to see if their bones are abnormal, which help me. And then the gold standard is really sending off for the missing enzyme, either in serum or in white cells. If you make the diagnosis of this child who has Hunter syndrome, do you routinely check all their siblings and their parents? I don't check their parents, but certainly I would check another younger male sibling because, again, this is an X-linked disorder, and within families we see relatively similar severity. So if I have a child who's four or five who already has physical disease and has a diagnosis of Hunter syndrome, then I clearly would check all their younger male siblings because there's a chance that one of them may have it and we just haven't had enough signs or symptoms to say to the parents there's something wrong with that child. Currently, with the treatment that you mentioned was available, how old is the oldest person with Hunter syndrome? This is really a disorder, a spectrum of severity. So people talk about how old, but I currently know of individuals in their 60s who have the very mild form or attenuated form of Hunter disease where they have some cardiac and airway involvement, but otherwise very well could live a normal lifespan with the appropriate intervention. And what do you tell them in terms of their children and grandchildren? Individuals with Hunter syndrome, given it's an X-linked disorder, all their daughters will be carriers, but none of their males' children, offspring, will have Hunter syndrome. So all their daughters are at risk for having individuals with Hunter syndrome. And what do you advise them? My recommendation is really to be aware of what they have because most families aren't aware of the genetics. And then they have to make their own reproductive choices because within families, we tend to see relatively similar severity. So if you have an individual with a very mild form, subsequent children in that same pedigree most likely will have the very mild form. I want to thank Dr. Joseph Munzer, who has been our guest. We have been discussing minimizing the delay in diagnosis of Hunter syndrome. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.